Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. A few weeks ago, when I was discussing the story at the end of the Torah, the death of Moses, I presented the Midrashic tradition based upon the text that God, in fact, buried Moses as a sign of respect, as a sign of honor. And I spoke about the fact that in our practice today, perhaps using that as a paradigm, we in fact encourage mourners and those in the community to actively participate in the burial of an individual out of a sign of respect and honor for that individual. When we talk about mourning practices in general and Jewish attitudes towards death, dying, and mourning, there are many examples, there are many models that we can look to. And one of them is in fact found in this week's Torah portion, Parshat Chaye Sarah. At the beginning of the portion, we read of the death of Sarah and how Abraham arranges for her burial with dignity and with compassion and then mourns for her. And in many respects, the way that we relate to death of a, to the death of a loved one really has its model in Abraham's behavior. And I want to continue my discussion that I said that I would return to periodically of life cycle events and how those events are observed and how we react to them according to Jewish ritual and Jewish tradition. And I want to look in this episode of the podcast at two periods of time that are reflected in the mourning process. The burial itself serves as the transition between these two distinct times. And it's important to note how different they are and I believe what the connection between the two is. Those two periods of time that I refer to are Aninut and Shiva. Aninut is the period of time between the time when a person is informed of the death of a loved one and the time of the burial. And following the burial, we begin Shiva. Now, a couple of definitions are important. According to Jewish law, a mourner is one whose parent, child, sibling, or spouse has died. Others, perhaps, Perhaps let's example, let's imagine a grandparent dies or, or an in-law dies. Somebody might take upon themselves the tradition of being a mourner, but according to Jewish tradition and law, what I'm going to speak about refers specifically to parents, children, siblings, and spouse. I want to talk first about this period of time called Aninut between the time one is informed of the death of a loved one and the time of the burial. It's important to note before I begin that this period of time of Aninut was in past generations and still is in some communities very brief. When a person dies, they are buried almost immediately. 
in many Jewish communities, and I know this applies certainly to conservative reform reconstructionist communities, yes, we want the burial to take place as soon as is reasonably possible so that one can then actively begin the mourning process. But often we, there is a delay for many reasons. Perhaps the most important is so that other family members who live far away can, can be present for the funeral and the burial. So the period of Aninut lasts longer, perhaps, in these communities than it might originally have been intended to do when burials took place almost immediately. And again, that's some, that happens in some communities today as well. What really is the critical aspect of this period of time called Aninut? A person technically is not a mourner yet. They don't say the mourner's Kaddish. In fact, the tradition that is most important during Aninut is that a person is exempt from the positive commandments, the positive obligations. Not the negative, the prohibitions still apply, but a person doesn't have to pray, doesn't have to put on tefillin, doesn't have to, for example, sit at a Pesach Seder or light Hanukkah candles during this time. Why is that? There are two reasons. One is technical and one is perhaps more, more spiritual. The technical one is that we have a tradition, osek b'mitzvah, patur mitzvah. If one is engaged in the fulfillment of a positive commandment, one doesn't have to interrupt that to fulfill another positive commandment. So in this particular case, it is considered to be a positive commandment to attend to the needs of the deceased planning the funeral, planning the burial, doing whatever is logistically necessary. So during this time, a person, no matter how directly or indirectly they're involved in the physical preparations for the burial, is still considered an onain in this period of aninut and is exempt from these positive commandments so that they can concentrate all their time on preparing uh, and on doing what they need to do uh, on behalf of their loved one who has died. But there's another reason why one is exempt from prayer or celebration or communal activity during this time. And that is because of one's emotional state. And while I could talk about it at length, I'm going to instead refer you to a piece online, which you'll find, you can find it at myjewishlearning.com, but I think you could find it in other places as well. If you put, if you uh, do a search for Soloveitchik, S-O-L-O-V-E-I-T-C-H-I-K, Aninut, A-N-I-N-U-T, you will find a beautiful piece written by Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik, Zichunoli Varcha, on the emotional state of a person during this period of time when they have just been informed of the death of a loved one. And his point, and I think it is brilliant and I think it is accurate and right on target, is the fact that Jewish tradition would not expect someone to engage in public prayer, to, to, to say blessings, to celebrate holidays when they, in fact, are in such pain. And all of our traditions, Soloveitchik says, point to the dignity and the grandeur of being a human being and the beauty and potential in this world, which a person cannot feel at that particular time. When they have realized that death has taken 
a loved one from them, and they question, as Soloveitchik says, they question what it means to be a human being and what life means. Now, <clears throat> the reality is that in some situations, especially perhaps after a long illness or a person who has lived a complete life, there may not be that sense of agony and shock and despair, but it is still there. It's still there someplace inside, and I think Soloveitchik's comments are, are, again, right on target, that to force a person into celebrating or in any way observing commandments which speak of the elevation of the human being is, it, it would, be, would be futile and inappropriate. The other aspect, though, of aninut that's important is that a person is, by not performing these positive commandments other than the, the preparation for burial, is not forced to be part of the community. They're allowed what doesn't happen at any other time in Jewish life to be distant from community. Perkei Avot teaches you don't comfort a person when their dead lies before them. You don't try to make a person, quote, feel better or see the beauty of the world or whatever it might be during this time. A person is entitled to step back from the community and not be engaged with other people. Now, the truth is that if you care very much about a person, if you're close to a person, naturally you're going to try to contact the person and ask if there's anything you can do to help. We don't want to ignore a person, but at the same time, there's no requirement that a person who is in this period of Aninut be part of a larger community through Jewish ritual because they need time to process perhaps their denial, their anger at this particular time. That is where the transition between Aninut and Shiva is most important because after the burial, immediately, Shiva begins. And Shiva is 180 degrees different. The community comes to the individual even if perhaps the individual isn't in the frame of mind where they want community, the tradition is the community comes and with respect and with care and with sensitivity begins the process of bringing the person back into the community and therefore back into the world. The person is not expected, the mourner is not expected to leave their home, except on Shabbat, which is another issue when they would go to the synagogue to, to uh, say the Kaddish. But during the rest of Shiva, the person is not expected to leave their home. The community comes to them. The synagogue comes to them. A service is held in their home. So that a Torah scroll in many situations is brought to the home so that the Torah can be read during Shiva. And the person finds the community coming to them to gently, but I, I don't know if the word is firmly, but gently, but, but, but surely, to point out to this individual that they must begin slowly, step by step, to become part of the community again. And that this community is going to be waiting for them when Shiva is over to be full participants. It's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. Shiva is such an important time for a person to know that the community is there for them. I want to add a little bit of a, a digression that's very important, which is that while it is traditional to have 
a house of Shiva to have the door open in essence, figuratively, if not literally, so that a person could come in at any time to express their condolences and to, and to, uh, to comfort the bereaved, it probably is appropriate to, if you're going to come at a time other than the time of the service, to somehow communicate with the individual or with somebody in the family whether it would be okay for me to come by at a certain time. In fact, now what we're seeing very often is people saying guests or visitors or, or friends or however we say are welcome to come between certain times. And the reason for that is that I do believe that mourners, and this is from my also from my my own personal experience in sitting Shiva, do need some time on their own as well. They do need some time to step back, maybe just to take a nap, whatever it might be. So I think some sensitivity is in order, but the tradition is generally that the community comes to help the mourner through the process of mourning and becoming more comfortable with community again. The process of Shiva, the purpose of Shiva, is not to make the person feel better, to ignore their loss, but to commiserate with them and to listen to and to share stories about the deceased. It's a beautiful, beautiful tradition, and it really does talk about coming back into community. But there's another step that's involved, and with this I'll conclude. At the end of Shiva, there is a tradition that a person who has, is in mourning leaves their house and the custom is to walk around the neighborhood, to walk around the block. Why is that? Because during Shiva, the community comes to you. But at the end of Shiva, you then have to go out, not only to the community, but also to the world in general. And walking out and walking around makes one realize once again the beauty and the potential of the world. A person who has just lost a loved one may not be in the mood really to think of and celebrate the beauty of the world and to celebrate the potential of the world just because Shiva ends doesn't mean they suddenly forget their sadness. It's not that. But by walking outside, one at least recognizes the potential that the day will come after the period of mourning is over where it will be not only helpful to them, but it's incumbent upon them to celebrate the beauty and the potential of the world. So we have three stages. Aninut, a stage where a person retreats to themselves, handles their own personal business, hopefully with the concern of a community, but a community keeping somewhat of a distance. We have Shiva, where the community drops that need for distance and really comes to the individual and surrounds the individual with love and concern and comfort. And then the period at the end of Shiva where the person begins the process of proactively finding their way back into the world. It's a beautiful set of traditions and one which I think really reflects the needs of an individual who has suffered a loss. More on life cycle events and life cycle transition moments at a future time in the podcast. But for now, until next time, thank you.